You're listening to The Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. Welcome to episode 66 of the Staff Room Podcast. Today, our topic is why it's important to decenter Christmas in our classrooms. And this is a very timely and relevant topic as we wrap up a very festive week before our December break. So we will get into that conversation very soon. But first, I think it's important for us to introduce ourselves. My name is Pav Wander, and I make up approximately 50% of the Staff Room podcast, and I am seated next to my co-host, who usually introduces himself. Hold on, hold on. Let me put the coins in the machine. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No! It's the Staff Room podcast! (laughs) With Chain Path, coming to you live from our kitchen. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but don't be fooled. This don't sound like it's coming from the kitchen. This is a fancy kitchen. Comes with a lot of uh, equipment. That's stuffed in a milk crate. <laughs> Keeping it classy. <laughs> Pav, we got a, a, an important episode tonight. We sure do. Really current, really mm-hmm. relevant, because uh, you had a really powerful uh, anecdotal story, because of course we've got a couple of of topics we're we're circulating on, we're salivating on. We know we want to talk about imagination, and we know we have a couple of mm-hmm. articles we've been reading. We want to dive into them, but the the anecdote you shared with me this morning it guided us today to say, you know, this is this is something we we're going to talk about because this story just just connected to a bunch of other things. So let's get right into this topic. Why don't you share that anecdote right away, and then we'll. We'll start talking about this, the need, the want, the desire, the who, the how of decentralizing Christmas in December. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And and it was a, a great topic that stemmed out of just our casual conversation, our reflections of the things that happen in our spaces. Uh, since the beginning of the school year, we've had two spirit weeks. So one was a couple of months ago, and, and then we just wrapped up a spirit week. The first spirit week we had was uh, very mild in participation. So there wasn't a lot of uh, a lot of kids actually participating in the events of the week. Um, this spirit week, however, was very holiday based and very, um, you know, it was a little bit heavier on the Christmas uh, theme and um, and it had lots of participation. And, you know, I wouldn't ever bat an eyelash at that because... Christmas is a is a huge holiday. However, I work in a school where there are very few people who would religiously celebrate Christmas. In fact, there are so many other faiths represented in the school that made me wonder 
why weren't those holidays and celebrations, uh, you know, um, monumentalized in the in the same fashion as as this past week i mean there was there was lots of festivity and uh and and we sort of started thinking about spirit week and and considering how we could probably we could possibly talk about spirit week for our topic but then this idea of christmas sort of came about and and our students just it's really celebrating it as if uh, as if it's something that is very traditional. And so I raised this with my class. I, I brought it up with them and I said, you know, I think it's very interesting the amount of pers- participation we had in a spirit week that was sort of themed around these these holidays. And it wasn't really a Christmas spirit week. It was a holiday spirit week. But there was, there was a lot of uh, tendency to have Christmas trees and um, ornaments and um, things, you know, like mistletoe and things that are generally associated with Christmas, even though they are non-religious markers um, much of the time, like elves and Santa and, you know, things like that. So we were, we had this great conversation about why we think that is when so few of us actually celebrate Christmas at home. So this led, this anecdote led to Che, you, you and myself talking about this topic and how it, how, how much of, uh, Christmas shows up in our holiday celebrations where maybe some of the celebrations that we, we should be celebrating because of the number of students in our class that are representations of the, of the faiths of that particular celebration. It's not happening to the same, to the same extent. And why, why is that happening? So it just gave us so much more to think about. It's a great anecdote. And I remember thinking right away when we had this conversation, there's so many layers to this because the, the, what caught you sort of most, I don't want to say unprepared off guard, you know, when you're collecting data is that in a community where Christmas is not the dominating uh, religion that is celebrated, there was an oddity at the normalcy, the excitability that the student population had to engage in these Christmas-like activities. And we started mm-hmm. to talk about sort of the normalization of of the dominant culture, the yes. hierarchy of religion. And in, in it wasn't that there was a disruption. There wasn't that there was a pushback. For you, the observation was that there was no distinguished pushback. Did it, it didn't jump in. This is your anecdote I'm it, just commenting on. And, and it, what struck me as, as so odd was uh, the theme of, you know, pretty much everything that we've done since the beginning of the year is celebrating your identity. Is who, What is our identity? Who are we as people, as individuals? Um, who are we, you know, in representing our families and the community? Um, and, and so... It, it just struck me. It struck me as, you know, I'm, I'm, be, I'm very conscious of, of these types of things in class, probably more so than I ever have been in my teaching career. And, uh, and so I, I'm, maybe I'm hyper aware of some of these things that are happening in the classroom and, and the normalcy to which my students are, you know, there, there's no prompting for, hey, let's sing our best Christmas songs or let's sing Christmas carols. That's not happening. But then why are our students gravitating automatically to the Christmas songs? You know, why, why are we automatically thinking, okay, let's, it's spirit week, let's decorate our doors. We're automatically putting Christmas trees up rather than 
you know, menorahs or anything else that any other symbols that probably reflect our faiths a little bit more. Um, and so it, it almost felt like we were neglecting other identities to, to put, um, you know, in the forefront, uh, a, a dominant culture, uh, celebration that happens at this time, just because that's what everybody is doing. So, you know, we had a great conversation. We talked about it and, you know, many of the students, many students said, well, we're really excited about it because we've never done it before. We've never trimmed a Christmas tree before. And so it felt like something fun to do and to experience for the first time. So there was that aspect of, you know, this is something new and interesting, which is fair, which is fine. And then other students um, were just like, well, it's, it's more fun. It's more fun than what? It's more fun than the celebrations that we have. <laughs> and I said, well, tell me more about that. I want to know why that is. Is it because it's new? Is it because it's something that is, is, not done at home. The unknown is often seen as, you know, oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's more fun. Really? It's more fun. You, only it? because it's different and you don't know it. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, we had some great conversation because of that. As we were talking, it just made me think of, it's like this unknown willful compliance. And sometimes as teachers, we love our student voice. We love our students to be self-advocates. But when they don't advocate for ourselves, sometimes we have to check ourselves and say, well, how come our students don't see this as an injustice? Mm-hmm. How right. this is social justice work on a on a bigger time frame, uh, in, rather than being, it's like indiscriminatory injustice because everyone is being done wrong, but no one seemingly knows they're being done wrong. Although it's not really indiscriminatory injustice, but I get that sense because no one's advocating. Wait, stop! No one's no one's checking us, and and our students are, are your students in your example. We're buying in. We're really excited to take right. partake. And I was just thinking of this compliance. And it also becomes... But does it, that make it okay? That compliance, that, uh, you know, is, is should, we, should we be teaching as teachers, should we be informing our students that just because you've done it forever, just because your teachers are bringing this to you, should you not be questioning it a little bit more? Well, if you, if from the works we've done with Paul Gorski and, mm-hmm. and Debbie Donsky, they talk about being a disruptor is knowing when you don't always have the time to work things out through the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority on this regard is always going to be in play. Mm-hmm. And so you're never going to have a majority that is going to ask for something different, that those numbers will just never be there. And this is why you need to be a disruptor. You need to stop it in the immediacy or ad- uh, address it in the immediacy. Mm-hmm. Because this ultimately, without knowing the empirical data, I would suggest that this is what's happened when we, when we centralize Christmas over and over and over again. This becomes the result, is that this becomes the fascination with our students, Mm -hmm. the expectation for our students that they gravitate to these activities because perhaps in our buildings, we haven't done enough real serious work celebrating other cultures, other religions, especially in December, but then especially not solely when it's in December. I was just going to say that I think that the only disruption that's ever happened with, uh, with celebrating Christmas in the classroom has become the tokenization of the other December holidays, you know, and In in the corner of your room. In the corner of your room. Oh, wait, I got two books from the teacher librarian that covers, uh, Kwanzaa. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, we're not saying that there's any, any fault of anyone's in this situation because I've been, I've been 
somebody in the same shoes, you know, where, um, okay, well, we don't want Christmas to be the only holiday that's celebrated at this time because there's so many other kids that celebrate other things. So we go looking, we go looking for, hey, what other holidays happen around this time? But then what we're doing when we pull in all of the other holidays that that could possibly be celebrated, we're tokenizing them. We're, we're bringing them in only because we don't want Christmas to be the only one because if Christmas is the only one, then we look like we're centralizing Christmas. Yes. Yeah, I mean... I, I make the connection when I talk to students to being advocates and champions of their causes, and I say, one of the greatest ways to champion your cause is to be really aware and, and really invested in other people's causes that they champion mm -hmm. in. And so if you're an advocacy for anti-racism, that be just as supportive of people that are massive advocates for bettering the environment and don't just simply... And, and vice versa, and don't just fixate on yours and not pay any attention to anything else because the item you've deemed important to champion trumps everything else. And you make these great points is that we try, we just try to balance it out at the last right. second. It's, it's, it is tokenism, which is such a great word. And you're right. We're not experts in this. And I would actually just, I'll just lambaste myself. I'm a white male from a predominantly white city that came in to Toronto, which is going to be one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And then we teach in one of the most diverse parts of that city in which we teach not only any particular racialized group, it's a highly diverse mm -hmm. racialized group. And I know the, the demographics in our school, the chart is endless of how many different religions and cultures are represented in our school. And as a white male, I made lots of these little mistakes that I was reading up early on in my career, centralizing Christmas. And when we talked, when I was reading about it, the very nature of our calendar and the holidays in which we give in our school system already centralizes Christmas. We give our two-week break. We give our Thanksgiving. Yes. The, the school calendar in and of itself is based on the Christian uh, values and norms and, and not, not solely Christian, um, but the Christmas holidays, etc. It is built entirely around that so you're already centralizing it and because we have these day these holiday dates it becomes natural to plan activities around these dates simply on the calendar so we lend ourselves to sort of the christmas celebrations the december celebrations and then just those points you made that once we have fixated on the christmas component when we sort of say okay our december holidays and then we try to incorporate a few more it, it really does tokenize it and then you made a great point early on is that we want to teach sort of the spirit of Christmas in the same way we want to teach about Kwanzaa as an example, or you're talking about Hanukkah as an example, or uh, Diwali as an example, but you want to make sure that you're teaching the true essence of those cultures and those religions and those celebrations, and not say going off and trivializing the, the cultural norms that come with it. And I think a lot of what comes with Christmas is beyond the mere celebration of Christmas is all the other extras that we roll into it that we, we bring on, say, like... Christmas music, I would say. Yes. And when you were telling your story, I had a, a, a student ask me, he said, Mr. Cheney, how come, do you, are, do you celebrate Christmas? I said, yes. You, you play, we play a lot of music in the class, Mr. Cheney, but you, you, never, play, you never play any Christmas music. Mm -hmm. And we went into a conversation because I, I willfully choose not to mm -hmm. because if I'm not playing inherently as much Diwali music and have as much passion for it, then I'm not simply going to invest Christmas music in to replace it. Right. I want to make sure that I have that real balance. And if I can't balance it because I don't have the knowledge, one, I want to become more knowledgeable. Yes. But I won't just by default say, well, because I don't know enough. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It reminded me of this great quote I found as we were researching. Mm -hmm. Quote, 
Don't get me wrong. I love Christmas music. I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe it just brings positive memories of winter break and school band concerts and playing in the snow from my youth. For many other non-Christians, though, the prevalence of Christmas music at this time of year is a constant grating reminder of the fact that our traditions and celebrations remain largely invisible. End quote. From five ways Christian privilege shows up during the winter holiday season from 2015 by Miri, Miri Boglowski. Mm, I mean, that's very interesting. And, you know, I can, I can definitely uh, relate. I mean, not, not to this person um, who made the quote, Miri, but um, the other perspective um, I, I also have, and this is a conversation actually that I had with my, my co-teacher who happens to be of the same cultural and religious background as myself. And, uh, we had, we had a great conversation about this topic that, you know, we grew up, we were born and raised here in Toronto and, uh, we grew up with more, um, memories of Christian celebrations like Christmas than we do of our own cultures. And now we have our own children and we feel a little bit embarrassed that they, they don't know as much of our, our historical and cultural roots as they do of that that's around us. And, you know, that's something that we may not have given as much thought to growing up because we were born and raised in Canada. We considered ourselves to be Canadians. We didn't, we didn't have, you know, we didn't quite belong, um, in our own cultural background because we were born and raised here. And so this is what we, uh, what we connected to, but but now that we are adults and we sort of we sort of are more aware and we know about our own cultural backgrounds or religious backgrounds we've done our own history you know soul searching and and looking into who we are as people and uh being more comfortable with our identity it it's almost like uh you know we feel a little bit ashamed that our students or our children sorry don't don't have that same breadth of knowledge um, and, and we were probably, you know, even worse than, than our own children at the same age, but, but it's almost like, are we doing our own children a disservice by not explicitly teaching them about our own past and histories? And I know that there are a lot of people who do this a lot better than I do. And, and I sometimes do feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job of making sure that my children are aware. The point being, or what I take from that is that if you have to explicitly teach it, this inherently is the issue. Yeah. Because yeah. the predominant culture, religious culture celebration, doesn't need to be explicitly taught for people to know it, get it, and right. understand it. Because it's all, it's everywhere. And I think the key point is, is that it's everywhere beyond the roots of its traditions and its celebrations. Mm -hmm. And it's in the the music or the elves in your room or these symbols of Christmas that aren't necessarily directly tied to the celebration but just become part of this normalcy and even and to extend past past that even I had a student ask me today um Miss Wander how come the earth is millions of years old but we're only in year 2020 and so we had a great conversation about that. And she, and it was almost like a light bulb moment that went off when, when she was like, oh, that makes sense. I get it. And it all sort of relates back, 
right? And so, um, and then we we talked about how there are different uh, places in the world, different cultures where where they don't actually use uh, the same calendar system as we do, and and they they go by a different year. So um, there was it was a great conversation. Just to go back to your point that that there are so many extensions, so many symbols that are used that uh, that we don't consider to be Christmas, and they're just ingrained in everything that we do around this time. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it was great because we're having a back and forth conversation, and I'm thinking of um, our scenarios, and of course, ours. I I forget quite often how actually unique our teaching experiences are yes because this is the only teaching experience i've ever known Mm -hmm. but sometimes i forget how multicultural toronto is yes and how even in toronto how racialized the communities are we teach in and so when i'm interacting i'm thinking of other teachers i would say my growth is not solely because of my growth my growth is because of my community and my students and i've picked up over the years and i've learned a great deal about diwali and i am going to say ramadan because although it's not solely connected to december because it fluctuates it's not held on by a month it's an equal celebration that we probably in i thinking of time didn't celebrate it as much as it should, depending on what month it happened to run into, which of course right. just highlights that there is a hierarchy yeah. of religions. But my growth has really come from such a diverse community. And you were telling those stories, and I was thinking of an event in our school, and we were uh, celebrating Diwali, and the it was talking about wearing the the proper clothes, you know, your celebratory clothes. And the announcement came, and if you don't have any, just wear something bright. Mm. And and I don't know now as a white male, mm-hmm. where does that lie? Like if you're celebrating Diwali, like in our, if you were celebrating the reverse, you're celebrating Christmas, like is there even a comparable comment to that where let's get dressed up for Diwali and if you don't have anything, you know, just wear something bright. And I, I don't know what that really, well, like, that, re- I, w- I would think red and green. You know, wear red and green. But do we ever get to, is there ever a default? Do we ever reach down to such a default was my thought. Oh. Like in, Diwali, like in Christmas, if we're celebrating Christmas, will we ever have to just say something so bland to try to connect? Do we have so little that we can reach to, to celebrate the culture that we we go from wear your... Your, your saris and your... Yeah. yeah your or, or just wear something colorful. It's right. like, it's all, or or, or, it's, or, it's, or it's like a trivial, it's again, yeah. you were, it's your token. So as you were telling your story, I was reminded of that story and I don't know the answer to it, but it always struck me as a little odd that there's like, it's it's all or then then it's nothing. But right. when I think of Christmas, there's so many different ways we can connect with That's Christmas. That's right, yeah. And your spirit days, there would never just be, or, or just this. yeah. Yeah. And I don't have an answer, but then I when I think of my place and we think about this conversation, I realize most people that teach, most people that look at the the issues in the room become a little different because they'll be teaching perhaps a very distinct community and they'll won't have the really rich, diverse community that I have that has really guided my practice, guided my teaching, made me more aware. There's a reason I don't play Christmas music, and it's not because I had an epiphany. It's because I became more responsive to my students. Yeah. And as you know, this great tweet we saw this week from our great friend Tony, no offense, y'all, but the greatest <laughs> PD is just listening to my students. Yeah. Um, which is sort of contrast to what you talked about this morning, is your your students weren't advocating for themselves, yes. or they felt normalized, and this is a great point of conversation. But on the flip of that, the other side of that story in a, in a school five minutes down the road is that as a white male, I learned so much more from my students there. And then in the last, you know, 
I, definitely the last year and a half, two years, there's really been a real focus. And we know our board's been very good. The Toronto District School Board uh, is very good at really making sure that we are really getting the right PD. We're honoring mm-hmm. celebrations. We really do not fixate on one over the other. Although I think what we're learning is it's ingrained and it really is tough to overcome one from our angle. And in your example with your students, from their angle because there isn't necessarily as many disruptors as we need because they've either been normalized or it's an unknown compliance or who knows exactly why because if we knew why then we could solve it yeah absolutely yeah it's it's a lot to think about i think that there's we've opened up a, a lot of questions we've given ourselves a lot to think about here um you know this is something that that i've been thinking about a lot this entire week um even even the fact that this this spirit week that was um you know that that just culminated today um all of all of the days were thought of by the students you know, the principal, the admin team had opened it up to, okay, guys, what do you want to to happen this week? What would you like to have for your spirit week? And so you're, you're expecting students, and, and I don't know if we should be expecting students to uh, come up with things that, that are more geared towards their own identities. They, they all said, you know, we want to decorate doors. Okay, great. But then all the doors are decorated with, you know, like, Christmas trees and and not everyone. I mean, there were a lot of really magnificent doors, but, but that's, that tends to be the go-to. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, we don't want to make it just about Christmas. So let's, let's add a menorah over here, or, you know, let's add some other symbols of other, of other holidays that happen around the same time. But all centered or sort all with the, tr- the Christmas tree being the center. Yeah, exactly. Or, or being the largest part of it, or, you know, the big elf in the middle or whatever. So, uh, so it was it was interesting to see and interesting to to talk about and and we had the conversation of well if you if you call it a spirit week um, students are just going to spit back out you out at you what they what they have experience with right and these are these are students that you know in previous years have seen door decorating contests and this is what they gravitate towards so if we want to shift that then maybe we don't call it a spirit week maybe we call it something else maybe we have we force them to sort of think in a different way um and so that's that's something that i'm toying with now you know how do we how do we change that thinking how do we get our students to break out of this normalcy of of centralizing christmas every every december and to think a little bit outside of the box it doesn't have to be other holidays and traditions what else can we do um you know how do we make sure that we're representing our student body and and focusing on who we are as uh, individuals and as a school community to make sure that we are all being represented and so it doesn't have to be a december thing actually it shouldn't be a december thing it should be a year-round thing making it a december thing comes back to the key that's right the calendar is dictated when we decide uh, celebrations are important well you know I'm, i'm going back to um october november when we were celebrating the volley and i celebrate the volley my co-teacher celebrates the volley nobody else in my class celebrates the volley but we we brought a great presentation to the class because you know we talked about our identity with our students and then they wanted to know they wanted to know more because they know who we are as individuals i've talked about myself i've talked about my my family history i've talked about my culture i've talked about my religion same with my co-teacher and so 
they wanted to know what Diwali is all about. And I, I come back to one of my first points, and this is where the calendar inherently um, has a hierarchy because you don't get, you get days off to celebrate, but it's not embedded in the school calendar in the sense right. that everyone takes it off. So there, it is, whether we know it or not, it's ingrained. And I, as you were talking, it just reminds me that in COVID-19, we were all gifted a real window to the things that were wrong in our system. This is one of these things where we're not gifted it on a plate, on a platter mm-hmm. wrapped in a bow, as I centralized Christmas <laughs> on that one. Um, there can be bows for yeah, birthdays too. <laughs> but it's not, it hasn't been gifted to us to see it. Yeah. And, but and one thing I always talked about in COVID-19 is when we come back, don't for one second think we solved all the issues. Those issues still exist. We just, now we got to make sure we work hard to see it. Yeah. And your anecdotal story really highlights that there's work to do to see it on all fronts. Mm-hmm. And I would probably state, although I don't know, when my student asked me if we'd play Christmas music or why I didn't, I think they would have been okay with it. I don't think they were asking to be a disruptor about it. Right. They were they were used to hearing it and were probably more noticed the fact that I wasn't playing any right. than that I was playing some. Oh, well, that's, there you go. It's a conversation starter and, and I, it's a place yeah. for them to begin their, their thinking outside the box. I think before we dive into a three enlightened minutes in which I have a, I think a pretty good anecdote of what our school did mm-hmm. for, um, sort of our last week of December. Yeah. And I liked it. Um, I just wanted to, to bring this all back. This is really what SEL is. This is what social emotional learning yeah. is. And if you if you're never if you're always wavering on what that means, I always like the first thing, it's anxieties and stresses mm-hmm. and, and representation. And when students really when you if they don't address it, if we don't address it, if one of us doesn't address it, or if one of us does address it, it's addressing those anxieties and stresses and the not being seen in the celebrations and or the stress of coming and, and being uncomfortable, but never being able to stand up because you're net in you're never really gonna be the majority. I know in your class it's probably even in my class, it's probably still the majority, but maybe fifty-five percent or sixty percent that are gonna celebrate Christmas. Mm. But if you're not that you're you're always going to be the minority, which always reminds me to Paul Gorski is that this is why you can't wait for consensus because you'll never get it because you'll never, you'll never have no. the numbers to make this change. Never will everyone come to right. your side. This is why the word disruptor has such value in anti-racism, in uh, culturally responsive pedagogy, and in SEL. Mm-hmm. This really is SEL. It's about tapping into our students' needs and then extending it because if you don't have students necessarily in your spaces that are celebrating Kwanzaa or Diwali or Ramadan, you 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 still have an obligation to make it just as normal to celebrate those things as others. I I, I think, like and now I'm talking because I don't know. I've never been in a classroom where it hasn't been richly diverse. Right. And sometimes this is where I was talking earlier. This is where sometimes I get myself mixed up a little bit because I think everyone has the same environment that yes. I have. Yeah. And then I realize if you're in a different environment, you're going to have different challenges and different mm-hmm. obstacles and different uh, blockades. Where I could probably say in my space, the biggest blockade is myself. Yeah. But maybe in other communities where it's not so diverse, there's different types of blocks and roadblocks and things to overcome. And I just, you know, throw out a few statements, but I I don't have an experience. I don't know Mm -hmm. what that's like. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking, I, I, I want to add just one quick little thought before we get into the three enlightened minutes, which has to do with SEL as well. So it's very, it's very relevant. But um, 
I'm thinking about those communities, those teachers that are in communities where you don't have that kind of diversity. And this is still a very important conversation. Um, That disruption is still very important, I think, because we don't live in bubbles, right? And I mean, right now we do, but we don't generally live in bubbles. And so it's... we want to make sure that our students are aware and to continue that disruption in the future. Um, and so, you know, why, why wouldn't you bring it to them? But, but there's a level of discomfort, right? A discomfort level because there might be pushback. Um, there might be students who just don't connect to the information that you're presenting them. And then it becomes, it's also very surface level. If you can't connect deeper, if you don't have the community to tap into. I mean, we're so lucky because we have the community to tap into. We have just five minutes outside of our schools, not even like just footsteps from our our schools. We have stores, we have shops that that could help us out with bringing the culture and bringing the religion. The deep-rooted culture. That's right. And, and we have places of worship just within footsteps. And we could reach out at any point in time to get you know, more information from these, uh, from these community members that, that could help us out if we didn't, if we didn't have that help or if we didn't have that knowledge base, but you, you step into a neighborhood where you don't have that and it becomes a challenge. So I think that what happens is it just doesn't happen. And because it becomes super superficial, it's superficial stuff that we've, we've talked about this before is the, you know, if you're just talking about Kwanzaa and talking about foods that we eat, that's, yeah. that's the superficial work. If you're talking about Diwali, you're talking about colorful things we wear, that's the superficial work. That's not the depthness. And then it's not for us to say it's your responsibility to, to find that depthness. We know that the benefit of our community is that all those rich resources are there, mm-hmm. rich connections to your community, understanding the powers of not solely doing a, a cultural dance, but explaining the why, right. explaining why it's important. What does it mean? What's the symbolism? Why was this connected to our culture? Why is it so important? Why do we do this at certain points of the day? The richness of, which could sometimes be trivialized by maybe watching a cultural dance on a YouTube video as your way of getting the knowledge. That's the surface level, right. surface level work. But we are blessed in that front because the resources are all here and there and willing to connect. Yeah. This has been a good conversation. I don't know if I have any answers, but I know I have uh, an example to share when we come back. And maybe we can wrap up with some swag bag and just some general conclusions of where we feel we want to be or things we want to at least um, connect with on a commonality that we can all agree upon on some some basics. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. And I'm looking forward to hearing your, uh, your story, your anecdote. So let's dive into our three enlightened minutes today. Our guest... Today is Jennifer Lee Quattrucci, and she is an educator and author from Providence, Rhode Island, and she is going to be talking to us about the importance of social-emotional learning in the classroom and why it's so needed right now. So here is Jennifer with her three enlightened minutes. Hi, my name is Jennifer Lee Quattrucci, and these are my three enlightened minutes. I am an educator in Providence, Rhode Island, the author of Educate the Heart, Screen-Free Activities for Grades Pre-K to 6 to Inspire Authentic Learning, and currently a grad grad student at Lamar University working towards principal certification and a master's in educational leadership. I'm here to talk about what we need more of right now. Right now, here we are in a pandemic, soaring unemployment, in the midst of an ongoing wave of civil unrest, 
dealing with social distancing, wearing masks, being quarantined, and living in constant uncertainty. Whether your school is meeting in person, online, or in a hybrid environment right now, nothing is the same for us at all. Not for us, not for our students. So to help our students navigate this ever-changing world that we just happen to be a part of, we need to support their emotional well-being and satisfy their need for emotional connection. We need more SEL. We have to meet our students where they are and help them thrive. Addressing a child's feelings and emotions is needed now more than ever. There is, of course, lots of research to show social-emotional learning reduces behavioral problems. One six-year study, which was recently published in Child Development, which included 1,000 students and covered 82 previous studies, showed there was significant reductions in incidents there were, there were significant reductions in incidence of clinical mental health issues, arrests, sexually transmitted, disease, transmitted diseases, and teenage pregnancies among those with SEL training. There is also a correlation between emotional well-being and academic performance. In 2011, CASEL did a study focusing on 213 school-based SEL programs and 270,000 students. The students in schools with formal SEL instruction outperformed their peers in testing by 11% percentile points. Also, 6% of them were more likely to graduate high school and 11% were more likely to attend college. Even before this pandemic hit, there was an enormous amount of anxiety, depression, social withdrawal everywhere. Now we need to find ways to help students manage their stress even more. SEL strategies have proven to create gains in executive function, impulse control, planning, and focus. SEL is essential for the future success of our students. Employers prize the ability to work in a team solve problems, make decisions, and communicate effectively more than any other skills when asked for the important skills employers looked for when making a hire. And there really are so many ways to incorporate SEL into the school day, no matter what you teach, no matter what subject, what grade. Journal writing, read-alouds, class meetings, incorporating art, talking about managing emotions, give responsibilities, practice problem-solving skills, build community, encourage positive self-talk, celebrate diversity, encourage reflection. I mean, for example, this is, this is a very, very simple, easy thing that can have a huge impact. After students complete a task, an assessment, project, or assignment, encourage them to reflect about their progress. This can be done all subjects, and it's a little thing, but I mean, I know for me personally, I, I'm reflecting on myself saying, I need to do this more. It's a little thing that makes a huge difference. Um, Hands-on crafts, such as growth mindset pizza, which I recently just uh, posted in my Educate the Heart Facebook group, 
and I have all kinds of things like that in the book, Educate the Heart. But there's so many ways um, to reach them, no matter really what you teach, to work these skills in. Uh, practicing mindfulness, so important and can be so simple as well. Simple as a five, four, three, two, one strategy in which students list five things they can see, four things they can feel, three things they can hear, two things they can smell, and one thing they like to taste. Simple as that. Uh, encouraging gratitude, so important. By remembering a person who brought them joy each day, three things they're thankful for, and their favorite part of the day. We do that formally. We do this formally in our gratitude journals every day, but that can just be done orally. You can just have them think about it. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Thank you so much for listening. Now back to Shay and Pav. All right, Jen. Thank you so much for that great three enlightened minutes. I always love learning about SEL, and I think it's becoming one of the things that I'm becoming a strongest advocate for mm -hmm. in my school, in my building, from just being inspired by all the different people that have great SEL components to, to give and to share. And I feel that it's becoming one of my passions myself as an educator and being able to connect it to the anti-racist work and the culturally responsive teaching and bringing it back into curriculum. I think I'm becoming a big advocate of SEL in curriculum. No, it's not just eating a sandwich for a break. <laughs> no, there's a lot more to SEL. And, and you're right. I think that uh, the more we are exposed to it, the more we learn about it, the more research we do, the more we are able to tie it in to the other parts of the curriculum and the classroom and our students and ourselves, uh, the, the greater the importance becomes uh, to make sure that it's in being embedded uh, in the curriculum, in our teaching, in our spaces. So... Uh, definitely a great topic, and thank you, Jen, so much for bringing that to us. All right, and let's get back into our conversation where we had no definitive answers, and that's probably why it's a quality conversation mm -hmm. and maybe even a better-than-quality conversation because we don't know the answers yet. We're still thinking we have more questions, yes. which is always the greatest way to learn when we just have more questions. And... I knew I had this one anecdote I wanted to share because I know our school has made gains and gains and gains because I'm not the only one in my school that's on the same journey. And although uh, our school is highly racialized, like 99%, and not just like 99% because everyone says 99%. No, it's 99.4% for 20 <laughs> straight years. Yes. And probably longer. I've just only been there for 20 years. And our staff is highly racialized as well, but not to the same percentage. Right. It's probably... 50%? Yeah, probably 50%. Yeah, so. And so uh, many of us have been on this same growth, same path, and many of us are actually around the same age. Our staff is not a very diverse age group. It's got a, a real pocket of teachers around the same age, my age, that have been going through. And so collectively, our school is becoming much more in tune, much more intentional, lots of learning along the way. I can think back to the my own boisterous... Uh, infatuation with Christmas activities and and everything associated with Christmas to lead into the December break because it was so important for me because, you know, I was rushing off to Christmas celebration in three days, but that's not what everyone's rushing off to right. in three days. And so our, collectively our school's done a lot of growth. And it reminded me because what we did this year to go into our December break 
I thought was really quality um, celebrations of of different diverse celebrations connected back into curriculum. Mm -hmm. So instead of necessarily having a spirit day, um, our teacher librarian and and she and I were talking, how could we embed STEAM and make a STEAM challenge? And so we said, "Well, well, wait a second. Why don't we have the conversation, you know, those informal conversations where it's in the hallway, it's in your room for a few minutes. And we chit chatted about, you know, having a, a diverse representation of all the cultural celebrations embedded in a choice board in a STEAM challenge throughout yeah. the week. And then I would like to say I went home and did all the work and research, <laughs> but I didn't. Right. Uh, our teacher librarian went home and she came back on, on the Monday morning and said, oh, I sent you this. Let me take a look at it. And I said, oh, this looks great. Like you She'd gone home, she'd done all this great research, and she had a choice board of five different STEAM activities you could do on Monday, all connected to a STEAM challenge, but related to a different uh, culture uh, celebration. And maybe some of the surface level items we associate with a cultural celebration, mm-hmm. uh, but still equally diverse across the, the tasks you could pick. It wasn't, say, for a task you associate with Christmas, and then one Kwanzaa task. Right. It was, it was very rich and diverse. That's great. And then it went across that for the four days. Yeah. So every day you had a choice board of five different activities, each activity a STEAM challenge, but related to a cultural celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe not the most in-depth, but it's a STEAM challenge embedded in curriculum, and it gives great talking points. And I think even beyond that, it's so good to make sure that we're honoring celebrations and diverse cultures and religions not solely compartmentalizes let's have a conversation about your let's have a conversation about your cultural celebrations embedding it always in the culture in in the curriculum and the activities we're doing students want to be seen in the work they're doing this is what SEL and curriculum is it's not just a conversation the work is not just conversations and conversations are important but you know you know one of my pet peeves oh we had a conversation about this oh okay and and what else Right. Oh, we had a tough conversation about this. Oh, me and my kids, we had a conversation. If the only thing you're ever telling me is about conversations, I I know that's a a, a a part of the puzzle, but there's more to it. It's how you take those conversations and turn them into action, embed them in your curriculum. Don't compartmentalize it as just a conversation. Because you need you need next steps. Yeah. You uh, need yeah. You need action towards next. You you com- need to be working towards something. Conversation to me sounds a lot like someone centered in a room. Well, it sounds a lot like being talked at. And talk dad does not equal engagement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I tip my cap to the teacher librarian and mm-hmm. teacher librarians in general, because we know in Ontario that that is a position that has just been smashed yeah. with the real reallocation of teachers. And this particular example just reminds you what a great teacher librarian can do for your staff, for your teachers, because they can build these rich learning opportunities. So I was really pleased. I was really happy to have been a little bit part of the planning but uh, and not part of the execution, but our teacher librarian just devised this really great STEAM challenge every day of the week, five different challenges each day. Your class got to choose one, connected different cultures and different celebrations, and it was a fantastic task. You know, I'm thinking about how we could even extend this to sort of help us out with... Some of the dilemmas that we have right now, and I'm thinking oh, about. Oh, I did that. See how I got you? I I did that. Everyone, oh, I dropped my phone. No, you know, I tried to ignore it and just pretend it didn't happen. But... Oh, sorry, sorry. Those were my inner thoughts. <laughs> but I'm thinking about bringing this choice board into our classrooms every month, you know, or or some some sort of way because there 
if we want to, you know, stop centralizing December as the holiday month, then we really should be doing something every month. And so we could bring this maybe not every month, but every other month or, or, you know, have like two days or have a choice board of five activities that students could participate in, in, in regards to a, a celebration. You know, we have heritage months for every single month of the year. And, uh, and so why, why wouldn't we have something like this? Uh, so I'm thinking about, I knew I wanted to incorporate this into my programming as well, as soon as you told me about it, because it is a fantastic idea, but I'm starting to now think about how can we extend this to sort of help us out with, uh, with decentralizing December as the holiday month. So lots to think about there. So thank you for bringing that to us. Rich conversation, Path. Very much so. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I think uh, we've done a lot of discussion here and we've we've raised a lot of questions and we've opened this up. This could be, you know, something that, that pushback is normal on, on things like this. So um, Actually, no. Pushback is normal when people just read the title of the episode and then push back on the title to their predetermined narrative they've already worked out long ago. Oh, sounds like confirmation bias. That's it. I I was joking with this with Stephen Hurley. He said, well, what pushback do you get? I said, every pushback I get in an episode is always based solely on the title with absolutely no one going through the content. And you don't need to go through the content. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to go through the content, please... Please spare me your platitudes of pushback. <laughs> pushback platitudes. I love it. Because it's not pushback. It's In this particular episode, some episodes we come with definitive conclusions. We have no definitive conclusions in no. this episode. What we have is a vast experience yeah. in a racialized community um, that has sort of embraced the Christmas spirit and all this sort of... The, the important parts of the celebration, but also some of the, the trivial ones. And we've had some work to do in uh, raising student voice, sort of making them disruptors, and sort of starting to study why is this. And I think this leads us right into our, our swag, swag bag. bag. <laughs> oh, that was well played. Let me play a little music on this thing because it reminds me of being on the drive. Um, but I think our number one swag bag that we want to take away with is at least the acknowledgement that the calendar in and of itself, center, it, it centralizes Christmas. Yeah. By the December holiday, the two-week break, it just it needs up to a build-up to that and a focus on that. Yeah. And we have to make sure we're honoring celebrations not solely based on the December calendar. And if we're honoring those celebrations, the extension is no tokenisms. Right. To just to just wrap it up real quick. Right. Want, just to cover everybody. Yeah, yeah. We want no erasurisms of people's stories and celebrations through the mass over representation of a culture that has the is is on the top of the hierarchy. That there dominant, is a hierarchy. The yes. dominant story. Yeah. You got another swipe bag, Pav? You want me to keep this? No, chain no. Going? You keep it going. You got that list. Oh boy, that list. I think we want to talk. <laughs> Is, as I go through this list, it's just that. I talked about that superficial work in the sense that we want to make sure that when we do talk about celebrations, it's not superficial work. It's not on the edge work. We really want to delve deep into our celebrations. It's not just a few facts, a few images, a dance, a food. We really got to dive deep into our celebrations. And if we're going to champion one, we need to champion them all with the same rigor. I thought that was important swag bag that we could all agree upon. Yes, indeed. I agree. Um, 
I think that's pretty good for our swag bag, don't you think? You think I got uh, yeah. anything else? Yeah, I think you covered everything. It was a, you know, this was a busy episode because uh, it was one of those conversations where it was like we're talking about it over the phone, and, and you told me to stop, stop, stop talking. <laughs> Let's have this conversation uh, with the mics on. So I always love when that happens, and it's always a great time for us to develop our thoughts and really work out some of this thinking. So it, it was a. We had a lot to say. Yeah. And I want to say it was all over the place, but no, I think it was pretty to the point. We, we knew what we wanted to discuss here. Authentic conversation on decentralizing the Christmas holiday. And I think our swag bag doesn't set us up for conclusion. It sets us up on the path for further discussion and, and further ways of making sure we do the work. Because the work is going to be different for every school and every context. Yes, yes, indeed. And I think if we can agree on those couple of basics right there of the non-superficial and realizing the calendar lends ourselves to the hierarchy of religions, then we can move from there to make the moves we need to make. Yes, indeed. You are absolutely right. And as we wrap up this episode, I'd like to remind everybody that we are part of the Teach Better Team podcast network. So you can catch our podcast there along with many other incredible podcasts in education. So please check out the Teach Better Team podcast network to hear a lot of great podcasts. It's not just Teach Better. You can also find us on our new live stream show associated with School Rubric Office Hours with Charles and Tracy and in the new year coming every Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, live. Oh, that's always a lot of fun. And speaking of being live, we are also live every Sunday evening from 8.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Voice Ed Radio where we host our weekly live drive radio show called The Drive on Voice Ed Radio. And of course, we are Codebreaker Ambassadors. So if you got a story to tell, a book to write, you can reach out to Codebreaker. And that's our episode for today. Episode 66, Why It's Important to Decenter Christmas in Our Classrooms. Thank you for being with us today. And we look forward to catching you on social media and next week on the Staff Room Podcast. Good night, everybody. Or good morning. Or perhaps it's lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs>